the Mets had every team lose that they needed to in order to make the playoffs. But as 2020 unfolded, they just could not take care of business themselves against the Nationals. We address the good, the bad, and the ugly from the 2020 season and look ahead to the offseason with Steve Cohen at the helm. The post Mike Puma joins us to address what went wrong with this team, what they need to do to become a contender again, and who stays and who goes this winter. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Let's take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. That's the voice of my co-host and former Met, Nelson Figueroa. I'm Jake Brown. It's the season finale of the show today, but make sure to catch up on all episodes of Amazing But True since we launched in March by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, show us some love and give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review. The post Mike Puma will join us in the second half of the show. And yes, Figgy, it is the season finale before we take a little bit of a hiatus. Until we get some Mets news that hits, we expect it to maybe be a couple weeks, and then we should be back. Um, so stay tuned for that. But before we, you know, change our graces and you know talk about the positives, I'm just gonna give my recap of the 2020 season, and it starts with the frustration of one this team underachieving, but two they had every scenario play out that they needed. We talked about how much of a pipe dream it was going into the weekend for them to make the playoffs. We knew it would be hard for this team to win just because they couldn't put a win streak of more than two games together. But guess what? Going into Friday, again, the Mets had the rain out. They doubled her Saturday and then one more on Sunday. They needed the Phillies to lose all their games. They did. They needed the Giants to lose their games. Not only did they, but they did after Wilmer Flores almost won it for them on Friday, and then they blew it. They lost their games. The Brewers lost the two out of three they needed to. All it needed was the Mets to beat the last place Nationals. Instead, the Mets lost three in a row to the Nationals, and not only did they miss the playoffs because of it, but they take over the last place trophy in the toilet of the NL East. And Figgy, I got to say, it makes it that more maddening. I was hoping one of these teams Sunday would win so I wouldn't be that mad. But it makes it that more maddening that the Mets won. They could not take care of business. It used to be the Shea Stadium song when they won. It would have been fitting if they took care of their business to get them into the playoffs. They did not. And on my infuriating Twitter Mets loss tally, it hit nine for the season. They win three more of those nine infuriating losses, and this team is playing in October, and we're talking about a playoff series. Instead, we look back at a disappointing shortened season, a weird season. Guys opted out. I get it. This team was not at full strength. But what we saw from this offense was a lot of potential. What we saw from even Edwin Diaz, who was good, Jacob deGrom, who was good, Seth Lugo at times was good. We saw some good things and enough good things on this team that they should have been playing and we should have been previewing important October games. Instead, we're looking back at a team that won 26 games and finished in last place. There's, there's good things we can take, Figgy, but in the end, this team should have been playing and they are not. And for that, I am not a happy camper. I'm not going to yell because it's still, you know, they probably still would have lost in the playoffs, but it would have been nice in an expanded playoff how we talked it was automatic. Once they said 16 teams, we're saying the Mets are in the playoffs. I mean, we wrote it in pen when the season started, and instead, they did not. So, you know, me and along with many other Mets fans are angry, and then the other happy side, and we'll talk about it soon, is is new ownership, and that's the one thing that's kind of keeping us, you know, breathing and, and doing well is that there is a bright future we expect coming in, the, in you know, in about a couple of weeks here. To think that we went from the Mets being a contender to get to the World Series. And yes, a lot of things went wrong. But I mean, I look at a team like the Marlins who were hit with COVID and lost 13 members of the team early on and had to piece together A-ball kids who had never, you know, pitched above that level, competing at the major league level. They had nine different starters in nine straight games early on in the season. And everybody called them pretenders and said, you know, they would come back to earth and they would have to play so many games and so many days to make up for all that lost time. They were able to do it. They were able to 
overcome. And Don Mattingly at the helm and kind of just kind of riding the wave. And you could see every time I spoke about it, it was the infectious attitude of the Marlins players. Uh, and, you know, scoring a run was a big deal to them. You know, it wasn't like, oh, ho hum, we only scored a run. No, every run mattered to them. And they just kept playing at a very high level. And they just kept going through uh, and doing whatever they needed to do to win. It, it didn't matter who was the hero every night. It just mattered that somebody was the hero. And when you look at that lineup and you look at that pitching staff and you see it on paper, it, it shouldn't have been this way. But the Marlins are in, the Mets are out, not just out, but they're in the basement of the National League East. And I don't care what season it is. It's disappointing um, to see Jacob deGrom go out there every fifth day. And when you're looking to win three in a row and you have him get going out to start that game, knowing that it's a doubleheader with the seven innings, everything was perfect and set up. And even him doing his best, again, 10-plus strikeouts, he gave up two runs, and it was not going to be enough to win a ball game. Um, more than frustrating. It's disappointing all the way around. It's it's become uh, what we've known from the Mets over these last four seasons, ever since 2016, where they made the one-game playoff, um, just to get to the playoffs. You wanted them to have a chance in the playoffs, but this team – the pitching staff up and down was inconsistent, not able to compete in a game in and game out basis to put together a five game winning streak, a six game winning streak, win two series in a row, even just to have a, a better chance at making the playoffs. Weren't able to do it and you couldn't really put your finger on it because they would they either hit and wouldn't pitch. They would pitch and wouldn't hit. They leave runners in scoring position or they would make, you know, six errors in the game. So they've always found a way to kind of shoot themselves in the foot. And for the season wise, they were able to do that in a major, major way by not being able to go, you know, all out and really find a way to win ball games against the nationals. And we can't even say the last place nationals because they wound up finishing in last place. So yes, a lot of positives to find, and we will talk about those things, but overall, Huge disappointment all the way around. Probably the biggest disappointment in all of baseball. And, and when you look at the Nationals, they had a ring at least to show for what they did last year. And you always talk about the hangover from winning a World Series. They also were hit with COVID. One of the superstars early on who wound up winning a batting title. So guys found a way to get through everything that was put in front of them and found a way to win some ball games. Uh, the Mets just weren't able to do it. 2015 and 2016, Figgy, looked like eons ago. I mean, it, it does not feel like four to five years. It just seems like a complete completely different team then and yeah you're right this is probably the most disappointing team in baseball I know a lot of guys did bad and you know as we look through the guys that did bad and here's some Salas you could take Salas 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 is it sure. Solas Solas yeah. Um, I was in the fifth grade spelling bee. You wouldn't think so by, by my stupidity. But yes, at one point I did. I remember my mom got me Mets Giants tickets, May 8th, 2000. How I remember that, but not what I had for lunch yesterday. Don't ask me. But the guys who won't be back as, uh, as we take some solace, Salas. I've, oh, I'm, boy. Just I'm, keep going. Okay. This, <laughs> This, this isn't looking like the musical edition of the podcast like last show. Um, the, you know, what you take away is that Rick Porcello, he ain't coming back. He gets rocked again. He finishes the season one in seven with a five, six, four year, right? He was atrocious. Michael Waka, probably not going to be back. One in four, six, six, two ERA. He was a failed signing. A guy who wasn't a signing, but a guy we'll talk about later, Steven Matz, 0-5. You know, just a casual 9.68 ERA. Atrocious. We don't know what's going to happen with him. That's just the pitching. Corey Oswald, he's not going to be back. Betances has a $6 million option, you know, $3 million buyout. Maybe he comes back. I know the Mets love that he threw 95, 96 in his return. He finally got some velocity. I wouldn't hate if he's back because I don't think we saw enough from him, he only pitched 11 and two-thirds innings. Uh, a guy like Brad Brock could not find the strike zone the last couple appearances. He was awful. I have no problem. I mean, there was a reason he they got him off the scrap heap. Uh, he was struggling. Miguel Castro, shoot him into the moon. I don't want him anywhere near this team. Edwin Diaz had a 175 ERA. And, you know, I point to the three or four games he blew because you win those games and this team is playing on Wednesday. So he'll be back. He pitched well enough that he'll probably be the closer. I don't think Mets fans are going to yell about it because he did show some signs of he's got the stuff and he showed us some of that outside those couple of games. He actually was good. Familia was up and down. I think, you know, I think he's probably going to be back. Just 
just because they don't have a ton of op- other options. I'd like to see them bring Justin Wilson back. I thought he has been one of the rare good moves from Brody. Um, so he's a guy I'd like to see back as we're looking at the pitching staff here. Other than that, you know, guys like Erasmo Ramirez, I mean, Jared Hughes, I wouldn't hate if he's back. Um, but like I said, it starts up top, and that's Porcello and Waka won't be in this rotation. And a guy like Peterson, you got to think about inserting that into that rotation. Six and two, a three, four, four ERA as a rookie that made the, you know, kind of the leap from double A to the majors. You got to think he's going to be your fourth or fifth starter uh, going into next year. So you saw some positives, but from the pitching staff, a lot of those guys I named, you got to uh, kind of clean those guys out of here, get them out of here. Yeah, and I still think when you look at the reality of the situation, who is Seth Lugo? Who is Seth Lugo? Because it, we, they gave him another opportunity to start, and he had over a 6 ERA. Um, as a reliever, he's one of the guys you count on and helping you win three games a week. So if the Mets are going to go out and, say, spend and get some starting arms, you know, Trevor Bauer is the first thing that jumps off the list, of course. And then when you look at other guys to fill in, you're going to have to – Mats is going to get another opportunity, I'm sure, because I think – Lugo has to see the writing on the wall as well. I love his stuff. I think it can play well as a starter. I also think he was tired, uh, tried to push it too soon, too fast. And then when you saw him going out there and it went from, you know, 45 pitches to 60 pitches to 90 pitches to 100 pitches, it was just too much, too soon, too fast. Um, Training in the offseason, if he knows he's going to be a starter, it'll be totally different. He'll be more prepared for it the second time around because his stuff is undeniable. We saw, we saw high strikeout totals, but we also saw him leaving and, and leaving a lot more mistakes over the plate um, when you're facing lineup two, three times and um, giving up a bunch of home runs. Uh, I wasn't expecting that from him this year, especially. Uh, so you look at when you go down the list and he's got a you know over a five ERA. Meanwhile, you're saying he's one of our better pitchers. He, he is. He still is. And I think, you know, in a short uh, sample size, his numbers are inflated. Uh, Jared Hughes, who wasn't even supposed to really be on the roster, was a, a late throw in. He pitched well for most part, but then there were games where he just got hung out to dry and he wore it and, you know, would give up a six spot because he just would eat innings no matter what. Those are guys that you got to kind of have, you know, in, in the arsenal, have be able to bring back. Uh, Ramirez, of course, had a great season, but six games. Um, I, I did love the fact that he rose to the challenge, whether it was a three-inning save or to a spot start, do whatever, pick up where another guy got bombed. So th- there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Uh, we have no idea. Uh, Batances, this was a good year for him to get his feet back on the ground and see how he feels and be able to bounce back. He had better velocity his last outing, but I, I think another full off season of getting himself into shape and being ready for next year, I would love to see what he could do in year two and only at six million i I take that risk other than that they're going to have to get some major pieces uh and the pitching staff is is one of those things the thing that i say is a positive the offense let's start with the one guy that wasn't the positive and that's wilson ramos will not be a met we will not he i mean he's still turning from that game in philly to tag (laughs) out roman quinn (laughs) he's gone if wilson ramos is back mets fans will jump off my roof Um, because he cannot be defensively. He sucked. He was, you know, basically a single and a cat Homer here and there and bust. You have to get rid of him. If you get JT Riomuto, I'm fine with Tomas Nito being your backup. If you get a second tier catcher, and I think Mets fans are kind of locked in Riomuto. There's not, he's not a lock that he's going to want to come to New York because there's going to be other teams that offer him 25, 30 million a year. I know we think uncle Steve, he's going to blow everyone away. He's automatically a Met. But you got to look at other catchers available too, because he's not a lock. And if that's the case, you got to have a good, a, a solid starter and a solid backup. And I don't dislike Tomas Nito, but if you don't get Real Mudo, you got to think of having a good one-two punch. And you know, you see a lot of teams kind of go back and forth with good defensive catchers. And while Chirinos. He's not going to be back. We did see how much better he was defensively than Ramos and just how much better, and you could speak to this as a former pitcher, how much better he worked with pitchers. I mean, you could just tell that the communication is off with Ramos and pitchers. He just doesn't work as well with pitchers, and he doesn't defend well. He doesn't block balls. He's on one knee. He's lazy. He doesn't tag guys out of home. A lot of things that Mets fans are very excited to hopefully never see again behind the dish. Yeah, and that's a, a huge factor for a whole pitching staff, not just one guy. I think uh, Rene Rivera was that defensive guy who worked well with guys like Syndergaard and Mats and helped them to guide them to, to, to get the most out of them he was able to have the team era was 
always low with him, even if his bat didn't play up. You didn't mind that as a backup catcher who's getting an opportunity. But if you're going to have uh, – you can't have anybody like Ramos back there again. I think it was a, a good idea at the time where he was coming off of his best offensive season. But once he blew out both knees – um, he was really never the same, and he could not move back there. And as a pitcher, when you're looking to put people away and at the major league level, you're trying to make your pitches seem like strikes and end up in the bottom of the zone or bounce, and you don't have the confidence that this guy's going to knock the ball down or keep it in front of him, and you wind up leaving the ball up just a little bit. That's what we saw over and over again. I didn't see a great communicator behind the plate. I didn't see a guy who could handle a pitching staff. It's not like flashy. You know, there were, what, meeting counts that they would have up there. You know, you can only go out six times to talk to the pitch or whatever there are key moments in a ball game that a catcher has to say hey whoa let's dial it down a little bit let me go talk to my pitcher let me calm him down and i never saw that from ramos never never saw that from ramos you saw that from chirinos early on you saw chirinos taking advantage of getting to know pitchers and that's where it comes in the communication he has to talk to them constantly to figure out what they like to do in what situation or or praise them to get that confidence from them. You know, that's something that is very important. Communication is huge when it comes to the catcher position. A guy like Ramos didn't seem like he spoke much. His nickname, the Buffalo, it's not because he's very verbal. I think you go get Real Muto no matter what the cost. It, it's not going to be a bad move. The guy's offensive, defensively, and just he does. He seems to do everything right uh, in the game of baseball. And I think that gives your pitching staff another shot in the arm. It, it just it will make everybody better. But it comes um, down to him wanting to come here because, Figgy, if you, I'm looking at the second tier, and it's obviously Chirino, James McCann, Yadier Molina, who I, I think will stay with the Cardinals, uh, Roberto Perez, Ramos, Alex Avila, Wellington Castillo, Jason Castro, Francisco Cervelli, who I would not hate as a second option, but he's 35 towards the back end of his career. Romine, Kurt Suzuki, Stephen Voigt, Mike Zunino, who's a strikeout machine. I mean, we're talking about a monster drop-off from Rio Muto. So you're right. They got to do whatever it takes to get him because that's an important position that has kind of been lacked since we've talked about this endlessly since like Paul LaDuca and Mike Piazza. They really have had no real uh, stopgap at catcher who you could really trust as an everyday guy who could not only catch, but, you know, hit the ball and not be an automatic number eight hitter. If Steve Cohen's got to give him the finest Manischewitz ever known to the Jewish community and the and the greatest bread ever made, then do it. I mean, invite him to Shabbat dinner every fri- after every Friday night game, Shabbat dinner, and then, you know, hit scores. Hit wherever you got to go after the game with JT Riamuto because he's got to be a Met. Let's go quickly around the offense. We talked about Pete Alonzo later on with Mike Puma. But essentially, yes, he struggled. But in the end, he has hit 16 homers. It would have been 43 in a full season. And I think having fans next season is going to be a big difference. He's a guy who feeds off the energy from the crowd. I am really not worried about Pete Alonzo. Dom Smith was just incredible and just one of the MVPs for this team. 10 homers, 42 ribbies, 316 average. He's a guy you could play at first next year. You could DH next year. You could, he improved a bit in left field. Jeff McNeil really, you know, kicked it in a gear in September. He ends up hitting 311. He's a left field option. He's an infield option. Um, you could do a lot of things with him. Robinson Cano kind of proved himself. I know he was streaky, but he ends up hitting 316 on the season with 10 homers, 30 RBI. So Cano is a guy that's a second base NDH option. If McNeil's at second, Cano can DH. Uh, J.D. Davis was not great this year, but I think you're comfortable bringing him back next year. Again, as an option in third left. So they have guys who could do a lot. Again, not tremendous defensively. Um, and then the MVP of the team. I mean, we already know. Mr. Sexy, Michael Conforto, 322. Uh, Uncle Stevie has to extend him, Figgy. The question marks are are these two things. And, you know, Todd Frazier's obviously gone. We don't have to see Tom's River again. Jake Marisnik, he's probably gone you trade away prospects for him he you know he ended up hitting 333 but very limited time uh the questions are this shortstop is andres jimenez your shortstop of the future and if he is what do you do with Ahmed rosario if you want to talk defense first in center field don't tell me that Ahmed rosario is moving to center field because you can't put a first year defensive center fielder out there and tell me you care about defense so you know rosario's value is very low right now he ended up hitting 252 while Jimenez struggled a bit, but he showed you so many good signs on the base pass, in the field, just the young poise out of him. What do you do you know, at shortstop, and what do you do in center field? Is Brandon Nimmo, do you trust him back? The shortstop and center field, Figgy, after catcher, are the two question marks. Yeah, without a doubt. I think 
question marks when it comes to shortstop is just who's going to play more honestly and 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 is that is that going to be a relationship that can work you got a guy who was tabbed the next superstar you know riding the pine most of the time when Jimenez comes up and Jimenez really hit the ground running and and impressed on all fronts as his defense was second to none it's been a while since we've seen an Ordonez like shortstop uh, and a, a guy who can actually handle a bat as well came up clutch in big situations I, I loved everything I saw from Jimenez but again that's the first year kind of thing where you take the league by storm uh, when you look at the Mets lineup he's not the guy you're game planning for and you know he, he wound up making the most of it next going into next year they'll know more about him though they exploited some of his weaknesses and had him chasing for a little while and he made adjustments so it's going to go back to that in that second year um, I'm not ready to give up on a Rosario he's 24 years old uh, so <laughs> no way shape or form already give up on them but if you look in the trade market you're not going to get much back for you know uh, med rosario right now um i like having both those guys they're going to be able to play off each other rosario just has to really play against the lefties to keep them in any kind of rhythm make that a platoon situation and you know late defensive replacement be able to bring each guy in in, in a different situation rosario's got to learn how to steal or take a lead or run the bases a lot better not a little better a lot better um, that's something that he still needs to increase upon. And then you look at center field. Am I, I'm content with Brandon Nimmo. I'm not thrilled because I don't feel like he, I feel like his mistakes outweigh, you know, the good plays. Um, he plays safe. He plays a safe center field most of the time, but there are some bad routes that are run. And again, with experience, he was a corner guy. Most of the time he moves to center field and he's trying that out. Remember a couple of years ago when Hanley Ramirez went from, you know, playing shortstop and then they put him at first base and then they moved him to left field. And when Boston signed him and uh, they would talk, the shredder put him in there and they said, oh, he's going to be the best left fielder in all of baseball. And he had never even put on an outfielder's glove before. So when you say that, you know, Rosario in center field is a pipe dream or you never know. Guys are athletes, uh, guys like Craig Biggio, who Hall of Famer, of course, but he was an athlete and was able to go out there and play a very good center field. I, I don't know if that's the answer, but is it an easier solution than going out and spending $25 million for a center fielder? Probably. If you're going to get two of those big pieces and have to spend money on a Trevor Bauer and a Real Muto, then you might have to make that move. And you're going to have to have him go down a Dominican winter ball and figure out how to play center field. He's going to have to learn how to play center field down there and make his mistakes down there and be ready for spring training. But I do think the pluses you mentioned already uh, across the board, you know, guys like Dominic Smith, the universal D for the Mets would be the, the best thing ever because now you can mix and match a lot better. You can have guys constantly in and out of the lineup with less frequency of sitting on the bench and, and wasting away. A guy like Dominic Smith, you start him against, you know, right-handed pitchers or a tough righty and let him play first base or you bring him in later on in the game after DHing for him and you still have more options to bring off the bench and put in that DH slot. So I think that's something that you're looking forward to next year is being able to uh, – let Rojas have a, a, a complete puzzle. There's not going to be very many missing pieces to the puzzle. You're going to have a, a lot of ways to mix and match and, and be competitive uh, next year and hopefully for years to come. Yeah, and I'm fine with Nimmo. I think, you know, if you look at the free agents, Springer is obviously the one everyone's talking about. The other guys, if you want to talk defense, listen, Marcel Lazuno I love, but he's not really a center fielder. I love his bat, though, but I, I don't think you really need another left or right fielder. You have enough of those options, um, especially with how good Conforto has been. Um, and all the left field options. You have the other guy, Starling Marte. Remember, we've dealt with that in the past, and they, they've passed on him. He had a nice season this year, so he is an option. If they wanted to go that route, I'd be fine with him over Nimmo. That's been a debate in the past where would the Mets trade Nimmo for Marte? Well, now they have the option to maybe have both or one. The other guys are guys like Jackie Bradley Jr., who had a better year offensively this year, who is known for his defense. I would have no issue if they brought him. He's 31. Kevin Pillar, not in love with. Rather probably have Nimmo than Kevin Pillar, to be honest. And that's really it. After that, you know, we're talking Dyson, Marisnik, Cameron Maben. No one really that uh, should be worthy of being mentioned. Let's wrap it up on this, and that's starting pitching. Now, it's been Bauer, 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 but there are other guys out there, Figgy, and they have to get at least one. I'd say you got to get two, and if you really want depth, you got to think about three because if you know if Noah Syndergaard really isn't back till the summer, you're going to need extra help there. So I say you get at least two. Hopefully Bauer. If you don't go Bauer because there is a chance he doesn't want to come to New York or maybe the Mets don't want him. Stroman coming back, familiar face, obviously an option. Maybe you get him on the cheap on an incentive-laden deal. Figgy, other guys available, Masi. 
Masahiro Tanaka? If the Yankees don't bring him back, do you bring him to Queens? Injury problems, though. Taiwan Walker. Mike Miner is an interesting name. Robbie Ray is coming off a terrible year. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, Jose Quintana. So after Bauer, there's definitely a drop-off. James Paxton, who's been injury-prone his whole career. So it's a lot of a lot of questionable and injury-prone guys, Figgy, after Bauer. So, you know, it doesn't – a lot of names don't stand out to you. But, you know, if you can get a, maybe a Bauer and a Mike Miner, I think Mets fans are going to be happy. But would you agree here you got to get probably two guys and add some depth because as we saw, the depth that they added and the cheap options they added in Waka and Porcello just failed and fell flat on their face for them this year. Yeah, yeah, those are experiments that, you know, it, it, it was a shot in the dark and let's see what happens. Um, and they weren't supposed to be counted on. They were <laughs> Porcello was not supposed to be your number two pitcher. A lot of things had to go wrong. Think about all the things that went wrong. You got Stroman opts out. Syndergaard has Tommy John. Mats totally loses it. That's those three. And then you have, uh, you know, Lugo has to get inserted. But Porcello jumps all the way up to being from maybe a number five to being your number two. And that's not where he was he was supposed to be. And, and he's had success in the past, but he's had some really bad seasons as well. And I think we got a hold of that really bad season. I, I'm not concerned about him being back. Waka was a, a guy that was supposed to, again, be a long man, um, uh, an insurance policy. Uh, insurance policy. Instead, he winds up being a part of this rotation. And every time he went out there, you were just waiting for him to implode and give up, you know, the three run bomb to nobody. Uh, it never, never seemed like the big hitters got to him. It was always the, the lesser knowns that took advantage of, of a mistake or two. So those guys will be gone. I do think, you know, you go for that big fish in that, in that market, or if it has to be, it's going to be two of the uh, guys that are in that next tier, but you're going to have to get guys that can compete. And, and you're looking at that younger tier of, about 29 years old when you look at guys like I don't even know if I, I'm a big thrill but Robbie Ray has had some plus stuff coming off a bad year Stroman bringing back Stroman I don't I'm not opposed to that I do think you know you had some familiarity with them but there's gonna be some uh I think he left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because he was so talking up the season so excited to be the so excited to be a part of the Met and take this team to the playoffs I think he would have been a big difference maker and to sit back and realize that he opted out. And for whatever reason, um, he opts out. Now he's a free agent. It's going to be interesting to see how baseball treats that. If he's going to get the kind of numbers that he thought he was going to get. Or is he going to be one of those guys like the rest of those? Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn. Those guys where they thought they were going to get a four-year deal. And all of a sudden they had to take one-year deals to prove their worth to a team. And then come back and have an even stronger year. But So we'll see what happens with that. It, I think you still are thinking those those are the two guys. Taiwan Walker's always been an interesting name because he always through so hard but these guys seem to have done well in in smaller markets and we've already seen what a bigger market does for some of these guys with uh, edwin diaz failing that miserably that first year he turned right at the ship but i'm i'm interested to see what you're able to do who you're able to get and i i, I think for the first time in a long time it's not going to be for a lack of trying when it comes to money uh in the offseason and yeah there's no more penny pinching now it's a new dawn it's a new day it's a new life for me and i'm feeling good <laughs> it's time you spend it and you don't think about, oh, Bauer could be a waste. You think, you know what? Spend the damn money. Uncle Stevie's going to pay it off, and he'll tip him 40% on top of it. So <laughs> it's, it's just not a big deal now. So I say, you know what? Go get Bauer. And if you start your rotation every five days with DeGrom and then Bauer, it offsets some of the other question marks. It offsets Syndergaard coming back. It offsets Seth Lugo. Do you have, you know, you have the opportunity if you could get two starters to keep Lugo, put him back in the bullpen, but it's still to be determined. Obviously, we have to see Peterson. Really, you need to get two starters. That's the end of the story. But Uncle Stevie is here and Figgy, Mike Puma is going to join us next, but it's been, you know, it's been a weird year. It's going to be fun next year. Our plan to kind of do broadcast from Stadium McFadden's come have a beer with us at McFadden's after a game. Do a show from there. Kind of interact more with the fans. I think we can have a lot more fun. Get you guys involved in polls. Maybe have callers. There's more things we wanted to do in our season, you know, debut this year that we didn't get to do because of COVID and everything that happened. But man, it's been a fun show and we did so well considering all the circumstances. And we thank Mike Puma. The, we thank our writers. You know, we had some wild things happen. We lost Tom Seaver, unfortunately, and we honored Tom Seaver um, from Dominic Smith. And his tears just, you know, a lot of things happened. And we want to thank Edgardo Alfonso. And go back and listen to these shows because we had a lot of good ones. Edgardo Alfonso, John Franco, Hall of Famer, Mike Piazza, Jim Brewer, Stephen Matz, Howie Rose, Doc Gooden. 
who came on a few times. Terry Collins, the ass was in the jackpot. Turk Wendell, Ed Cranepool, David Wright, we had the captain on. Billy Wagner, Jay Horowitz, Scott Rogowski, Andy Chavez, Glendon Rush, David Cohn, Bobby Valentine, Steve Traxel. I'm just going the order here of our show. Steve Hofstetter, Tim Tuffle. Uh, we had on the uh, Maggie Gray. We had on the Seaver show. We had Art Shamsky. We had Crane Pool again. We had uh, Bob Brown, my father, making a guest appearance. Ron Swoboda. We had a lot of great guests over this season. Figgy, it's been fun. I know you're going to miss seeing my face and me yelling every day. I will miss doing the show, and I'm acting like this is it we will be back very soon but we're gonna take a little vacation it'll be nice to kind of you know give the pipes a break from yelling as we focus the attention to horrible just god awful the worst teams in football and the state of New York sports has been putrid, but it's been quite the roller coaster ride this season. Yeah, I have to say, you know, we came into this not sure what to expect. Um, our guest list was second to none. I don't think there's another podcast uh, on the air that can match our, our guest list. And it, really, some of our best shows were without a guest. And so I have to thank you for that. That was one of the things that I said from the beginning when uh, you first offered me the job was, you know what, I wanted to keep you on because you are such a knowledgeable fan and you go through the pain and you've been through all that pain that it gave us that good yin and yang when it came to having those arguments. Um, I, I think that was something in my first year, if it was just me talking about it, I, I might have been too passive. I might not have been able to blow off that much steam. And, uh, you know, you, you had that flexibility to kind of take it in that direction and fans enjoyed that. Fans loved that about our show. We didn't hold back. We never had to hold back. It was never our intent to hold back. And so we uh, expect a certain level of performance and accountability. And I think that's what people have come to expect from Amazing But True. And um, when it comes to, like I said, guests, every person that I reached out to was excited to do the show, did the show and listened back to the show and came back and said, you know, how wonderful it was and they would love to be on it again. So year two, we're going to continue going through that roll of decks. And there were certain guys that uh, weren't able to come on this year that we're looking forward to for next year and, and having the fan interaction, dude, that's going to be everything for me. Cause I, I love interacting with the fans, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's, you know, on Facebook, being able to do some of that stuff live and uh, being able to take questions and maybe, even have arguments with fans um that's going to be a lot of fun and uh you know it's going to be a, a strange off season for the first time where the mets aren't shopping at the bargain basement uh, i don't say tj max because jake gets offended but you have to realize jake i, I lived my whole career with uh, louis vuitton taste on a tj max budget so that that to me has always been what what i have uh, fashioned myself after so i'm excited for the first time to go out there and, and be able to compete with the big boys and sit at the big table uh when it comes to poker chips and be able to go all in and not even back an eyelash i'm emotional man <laughs> this episode is sponsored by kleenex uh yeah man it's uh it, it was a fun ride and it will be nice to spend money again um it's weird for me because i have mets masks and i'm wearing mets shirts and always i feel like i need i, I can't be I, I still support the team but i need a break from wearing the clothing they just missed the playoffs because they couldn't handle their own damn business <laughs> All right, I had to yell one more time uh, to clo close it out strong. But, yes, it, it is a new dawn here, and it's it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to what this team has in store for the offseason because I do think there's excitement in the air. And once that Steve Cohen news happens and it is signed, sealed, delivered, once the 23 owners say thank you and good night and he's here, it's going to be glorious. And, uh, you know, I think next season this show is going to take off. And thank you to you for getting a lot of these guests. You know, I got some. You got more as you played in the big leagues and, you know, connected with a lot of these guys. So thanks to you for doing that. And I think we, our show is unique because it's not just a normal interview. We have fun with these guys, you know, we make them laugh. We talk, you know, we talk about ass bleeding toilet paper with Mike Piazza. I mean, what show are you going to talk about your ass bleeding from toilet paper with, with the greatest hitter in Mets history? So <laughs> you're not going to get that anywhere else. And I am team Charmin over team Scott's. I got to start getting sponsored. All these companies I'm mentioning. Start writing it down, write it down. Start cutting the checks but joining us next for the final swan song is friend of the program that's beat writer for the new york post mike puma right here on amazing but true 
Joining us now is friend of the program, New York Mets beat writer for the New York Post, Mike Puma. Follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Mets. Read his stories in the post and at NYPost.com. Puma, I don't know. How are you feeling? The season is over. Now, you know, this is a weird all season. It's not like you can go to a tropical island mask-free and, you know, you know, show your face and, you know, party with people. It's it's going to be weird to not have a true vacation time and a break. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's a weird season. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little run down just because I the road trips, I, I, I was driving just about everywhere, you know. I, I drove up to uh, Buffalo for the, that series against the Blue Jays and uh, drive to Baltimore, Philly a couple of times. DC. After a while, all the driving gets to you. So I, I, I think I'm more run down than I would normally be. You've had a lot of Roy Rogers and uh, rest area <laughs> yeah, food stuff. Exactly. You get to know uh, which rest stops on the Jersey Turnpike have, uh, you know, which restaurants kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Always avoid Burger King is my new rule. They are, they are the, they've become the worst fast food establishment of all time. You're just trying to kill us all over the place with advertising. Money. No, no, yeah, just g- give me checkers. I'll take checkers as a sponsor for those fries are incredible. Um, the, the, what's not incredible, Mike Puma, is the Mets had everything happen. We talked about it early in the show. The Mets had everything. Every scenario happened, except for the one where they controlled their own destiny. I mean, how surprised were you that all those teams lost? And were you surprised at all that the Mets just couldn't take care of the Nationals? I mean, I, I'm stunned that the scenario unfolded the way it did with, you know, the Phillies losing, the Giants losing, the the, the Brewers losing a couple of games. I mean, it it fell into the Mets' lap where all they had to do is go out. Now, you say all they had to do is go out and win their game. This is a team that couldn't win, you know, three games in a row. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised in that sense, but the way it's set up for him with Jacob DeGrom on the mound uh, Saturday, you just feel like if they got that game, it's different in the nightcap, you know, but as surprising as it was that the scenario worked out that way, I'm I'm not surprised that the, the, the Mets didn't finish business. It's almost doubly as disappointing, right? When you have that actually come to fruition and and all you have to do is take care of business. Two of the three starters that you're going to have are named Jacob DeGrom and Seth Lugo and Lugo gets bombed on Sunday to avoid being in the basement. And now it's really compiled that where you finish off where everyone kind of predicted you to be in the top two, you're in the bottom of the barrel in the in the NL East. And uh, for a team that had such good offensive numbers to finish that way is a huge disappointment. You know, the amazing thing, we went into this final weekend talking about the Mets with a sliver of a postseason chance and also a chance they could finish in the basement. I mean, <laughs> when do you go into the – That's 2020. Weekend? Yeah, it's 2020. You go to the final weekend of the season, you can be in the playoffs, or you can finish last. <laughs> it's uh, it's put a new meaning to the name of our show, Amazing But True, how that all happened in the final weekend, Puma. What did you see this season? I mean, we saw a lot of things that went wrong, but there's a lot of guys they brought in here that you would be stunned if they brought back. Am I right? I, I mean, I'd be shocked if Rick Porcello and Michael Walker are back. You got to think about Dellen Patanzas. He's got to think about it with his $6 million option. Um, there's a lot of moves that were made and guys coming in on one-year deals trying to prove something that uh, you wouldn't think would be back in 2021. Yeah, and I I think the biggest overhaul is going to come to that uh, rotation. Uh, You mentioned a couple of those guys, Walker and Stroman. Walker was certainly a huge disappointment. Porcello, uh, Porcello, let's just say he could have been a lot better. So I I think they're going to, you know, with Steve Cohen coming in here with some some dollars to spend, they're going to explore. I I would be surprised if they didn't uh, explore the idea of bringing Trevor Bauer here and and getting another quality arm behind him. You really got to build up. Now, remember, Noah Syndergaard, probably lucky if you see him by early June next year. So you, you can't, and then when he comes back, you don't know what you're getting. So you really can't go into next year counting on him. You think uh, he's going to be back that late, Puma? I, knowing, I mean, Syndergaard seems like the guy that's going to push it to try and be there for opening day. You really think he's going to miss almost half the season? Well, he, he told me he's going to push it for opening day, but all the all these guys say that, that they're, they're going to be back in 12 months. And, and it's usually the team that uh, exudes the caution. I mean, you don't see guys returning before – 14 months these days from Tommy John surgery it used to be used to be a year and it, it seemed like uh, about five years ago right around the, the time Matt Harvey had it team started going w- with more caution and saying hey we're gonna wait 14 15 months on these guys yeah I think that's what it comes down to is just being cautious because you realize this is a crossroad for especially a guy like Syndergaard in his career and you don't want to rush him back and then have him have uh, another injury or another setback Daniel Hudson 
comes to mind as a guy who had to have a second Tommy John uh, and come back from that. And even the Mets pitching coach, Hafner, never, never came back from that second Tommy John. So why risk pushing him and rather be safe than sorry? And if he's fixing everything in his body and his mechanics and winding up cleaning himself up and having a tremendous uh, I wouldn't say second half, but you, you hope June on, he's able to have that boost for you. And it's not that same thing like we heard Brody say at the trade deadline. Well, you're getting some guys back. It's almost like making a trade. You know, they never made that push. Knowing that they had pieces that they needed to acquire, knowing how the, the rotation other than DeGrom was a six and a half ERA plus, that was a scary thing to think about that you finish so close to making the playoffs and yet the guy that's in charge of it with the ownership on its way out, wouldn't you think they would have gone all in to do something to make it, even if it's in this season where, oh, it doesn't really matter because it's only 60 games. It matters because look how they went out. They went out with a whimper where they had a chance or even until the last weekend to do something special. But the thing is you didn't want to get, give up the farm here to, to make a, you know, try to make that September splurge. I thought Brody would go a little bit bigger than Todd Frazier and, uh, Miguel Castro and uh, Chirinos was certainly a a good backup catcher, but I I thought there, I think there's a level in between going, you know, crazy, giving up big prospects and and what they did. And, uh, you know, Todd Frazier certainly didn't make the difference. And, you know, Chirinos was okay. And we'll see Castro's under club control for next year. Maybe he's, he's a viable bullpen piece, but they could have done more. I think you can see see me shaking my head whenever, every time you say Miguel Castro, it's become like Paul Seawald on crack. It's like times 10. Um, It's just like you trade your minor league player of the year for this guy. Uh, He gives me a headache every time he goes out there. And they put it, they kept putting him in high leverage roles. The guy was there a week and he's pitching in tie games in big spots, which made zero sense to me. Puma, I listen, I hope Stevie Cohen finds a way to either trade him or maybe you just cut him. I know he's under team control and he's cheap, but. I don't know if he's a reliable reliever. And then, you know, Todd Frazier from Tom's River, he, he told a couple of jokes. He really uh, he really made the guys happy in the month of September. So that's what counts out of those trades. Those were some uh, questionable moves by Brody. Those weren't the kind of moves that said, you know, we're going all in. It was more like, all right, let's see if they'll work. Oh, wait, they did not. Now you had Edwin Diaz rebounded, had a nice season. Could make a case it was a very good season. Now some of his blowups were pretty high profile. You know, that doubleheader game at Yankee Stadium, uh, certainly the first one against the Braves. So there's, there's a couple of blips there, but you, you'll, you'll, you'll take what you got from Edwin Diaz this year. But the problem is they never replaced Seth Lugo after he went to the rotation. That, that left a big hole there uh, in the late innings. All right, simple question for you, Puma. Will Brody Van Wagenen be fired? I have to think uh, he'll be out, especially with the news that, you know, Sandy Alderson will be installed as uh, the team president if Cohen gets the uh, approval. I just don't see a fit for for Brody Van Wagenen uh, under those kind of guidelines. I think Sandy Alderson will want to bring in his own guy, and uh, Brody doesn't have a lot to hang his hat on right now after these two seasons. What's the fate for Luis Rojas? Listen, I think he should be gone. I know a lot of people say he needs to get a fair shake in a full season. I don't love the analytics and by-the-books approach that – you know, he likes to go by, and maybe that's coming from up top, but not a big Rojas fan. What do you think about Rojas? Does, does Steve Cohen bring in someone new? I think Rojas has got a much better chance of Brody Van Wagen and uh, of returning. Uh, a big factor being the fact that there's a familiarity with him uh, with Sandy Alderson. Now, maybe a new GM just comes in and says, hey, I want my own guy. But maybe maybe along the same lines, Sandy Alderson could say to a new GM, we really like, we were high on Luis Rojas uh, in the time I was here. We think he did a decent job this year. But if Mike Puma is GM, if you are the GM, put on your GM cap, do you keep him? Do I keep him? I think he has potential. You know, well, let's remember, this is a guy who's 38 years old. First season, he's getting thrown into a, a weird year with the 60-game schedule. You know, Marcus Stroman opt out uh, out of nowhere. Uh, he had to stretch out Seth Lugo into the rotation. He had some crazy stuff happen. I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would give up on Luis Rojas just based on what we saw over these 60 games here. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's another thing. You look at Cespedes, uh, also opted out. You lost... Uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard, so you're losing almost two-thirds of your rotation is gone before the season even starts, and now you're looking at scrambling to make it work. He's made some mistakes, and me and Jake have gone back and forth on this all year long. He's made some mistakes, but those are the kinds of things in 162 games, you learn from those mistakes, and you try to become better as a manager. I think as a communicator and, and as a guy who had command of that clubhouse, he did a great
great job. I think when it came to the X's and O's, sometimes a, a lot of those force. He also had a first-year pitching coach. Jake, you often said it didn't seem like he had those guys ready. You know, they weren't ready in time. Having a first-year pitching coach who's never done it before, that's something that also uh, I, I think they didn't have a feel over, hey, how quickly do we need to get somebody up or how – I would rather be overprepared than underprepared. And it just seemed like a lot of the times they were underprepared when it came to those bullpen moves. Yeah, I, I think Rojas has potential. Now, that said, Steve Cohen could come in here and say, hey, I, I want a big name. I want a veteran guy. We think we can win next year. And maybe he, I don't know, I'll throw out uh, Buck Showalter or something. There it is. There yes. it is. You know? Inject that right into my veins. Puma was reading my mind. Give me Uncle Buck and Uncle Stevie. God, it'll be the greatest Italian dinner of all time with those two guys at the helm. Clean the house like it's your maid service coming for the week. Uh, you know, I want I want a new GM. I want a new manager. I just think, listen, Rojas is a nice guy. I don't think he's a terrible manager. And listen, if they keep him, I don't think they're going to be a bad team because Luis Rojas is a manager. They're going to be a bad team if they don't spend money and address holes, which leads me to my next point, Puma. And that's the holes that they have. Obviously, we, we've we been saying it for months now, JT, JT, JT. And I'm not talking Justin Timberlake. Real Mudo behind the plate is your number one target. And then you talk Trevor Bauer. Outside of those two names, because listen, they might spend try and spend the money. That doesn't mean they're going to want to come to New York. What are a few of your targets if you look in your crystal ball into the offseason for what the Mets need here? Yeah, you know, I'm just sitting down to write my season review now, right now. And the, the one thing that still stands out to me is center field. You know, Brandon Nimmo did a serviceable job out there. You got a lot of left handed bats out in the outfield. Uh, you don't have a true center fielder. George Springer's a free agent. Righty bat, play center field. That would be uh, that would be a nice piece. You go out and get Springer, Bauer, and Real Mudo this winter. I'd say that's a good winner if you could do that. Yeah, those are the top three guys in the market. If you can lock up the top three guys to a contract, that's making a huge splash and a huge statement if you're a new owner like Steve Cohen, um, knowing that he's the guy that has those unlimited resources. So, I mean, that would make a huge statement. Not only that, but I think it puts the Mets back into not just playoff contention. You're looking at a a chance to do some major things and for a long time because you're going to have to lock those guys up to multi-year deals. So I want to see them maximize the Grom's era. It's sad to see the Grom get this big contract and he's earned it has done everything you've asked them to do. And we had a guest on the show, Doc Gooden, who said it might be the best thing to do is trade DeGrom and, and maximize his potential and get pieces that you need back. I think this team is young enough right now with that core and the lineup that they're going to be able to compete for quite some time. They did it. Think about this. They did it without a hitting coach actually being there. Chili Davis was yeah. not there. He, he wasn't there. there. So virtually while Chili Davis is watching video and giving some kind of advice, he didn't do one thing of soft toss. He didn't do one thing, you know, hands-on with the guys during the games. They were able to make those adjustments, and I love the fact that they they really carried the team. It was a disappointment, the pitching staff as a whole, other than Jacob DeGrom and Seth Lugo for the most part, but as a starter, look at what Seth Lugo is. He's a 6.6 ERA in those starts. That surprised me. That really surprised me how he tired at the end, and that's what you look at is can he rebuild himself to be a viable starter because his stuff plays. His stuff plays as to be a number two, three starter on this on this staff. Uh, uh, could you imagine him being a number three after Trevor Bauer and a Jacob DeGrom? Yeah, and you know, we, we got to find out what David Peterson is. I mean, he's he's probably ideally a back-end guy who, who may, maybe uh, overachieved a little bit this year, but let, let's see more of him, you know? Let's let's find out what he is. So, you, you know, you got DeGrom, you got Peterson, you you know, Lugo, you don't know what, what you're going to do with yet. So you got a few pieces there. You know, you're building around uh, that. You're building around Edwin Diaz. You're building around Dominic Smith. You've certainly not given up on Pete Alonso yet. Conforto. So th- there's pieces there. People said about Pete, they were worried. I mean, you extrapolate the numbers. I know Figgy likes to use the word extrapolate and uh, kinetic chains. Um, <laughs> he would he would have put up 43 homers in yeah. a full season. So. Yeah, he hit 210 or whatever it was. But all right, you know, I'm going to go back to what I said about Luis Rojas with Pete. It was a weird year, 60-game season. You know, we, we'd be in early June right now, and maybe Pete goes out and hits 350 over the next month. And by the end of the year, he's, he's up around 250, 260, something like that. Yeah, look, exactly. You know, when, when you look at most of this lineup, it didn't start out. They didn't start out like gangbusters, but they really hit their stride. A guy like Conforto, you know, really came into his own. Uh, you know, shame how his season ended. But when you look at uh, McNeil, 
McNeil was struggling mightily. And it was funny. We're like, oh, my God, he's struggling. He can't hit anything. And he was still batting like 278 at the time <laughs> while he was yeah. struggling. Then he turned it on. He was batting 330 for most of the season. He, so. he didn't hit any homers in the first half of the season. Then just, boom, they, they started jumping off the bat. And that's the, and that's the kind of streaky hitter that he is. Once he gets going, he, he's one of those guys that you just sit back and let him go, watch him get three, four hits a game. Um, Dominic Smith was huge for this team to even have a chance at any kind of playoff aspirations and to, to see that this team only found a role because of other people opting out was the only reason that Dominic Smith got to play so, so much. And now you hope to see more of him. So finding a way to make this all work and the pieces that are involved, I, I think if you can add a Springer, of course, um, I don't think that it's ever going to hurt you to add a Springer and bring in that right-handed bat. Um, and he's a Northeast, a, a guy who went to UConn. So yeah, UConn I, would, guy, yeah. I would, I would love to see a guy that, you know, it, it matters to him about playing in that, in that area and playing in front of family and friends. The other question is the $64,000 question. What do you do with Steven Matz? I mean, Ooh. he was, he was just putrid this year and you get, you know, the swan song, he gets rocked. In the final game of the season, Pumo. I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you bring this guy back? Do you? I mean, you can't really trade him. He's got no well, value. Yeah, but here's the thing: you're, you're not going to get anything for him in a trade. Do you? Do you want to just give up on him? I, I don't know if you just want to give up on him. I think you're you're bringing him back next year and, and, and trying to salvage him here a little bit, even if it's a, as a long reliever, a mop up guy in the bullpen or something. You want to you want to try and 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 get this guy going. And get something out of him because I think if you if you give up on him, it might it might be a mistake that comes back to bite you. It's the most frustrating thing when the guy was our number four starter in the World Series, and you're sitting here now trying to think if he can be the mop up man. Just yeah. a few years later, this is where he should be hitting it in stride. And even Jacob Degrom said before the season started, Matt's looked like a different guy this spring training. And COVID hits, and it's a delayed thing. And he came out starting, and he was okay in the beginning. First three starts, he was all right. And then all of a sudden, the wheels fell off and could never get put back on again. It reminds me a lot of Oliver Perez, who had plus stuff and then just would walk the farm and it would spiral out of control quickly. And next thing you know, you didn't have a role for him. Oliver's still pitching in the big leagues and pitching well. For a guy like Steven Matz, that unreached potential, that's something I think when you talk about the mental side of his game, that's got to haunt him every day waking up and everything you read is about how bad you are, how much lackluster his his season is. And tremendous talent and not being able to reach it. And there's no escaping it, especially in the New York market. He would be a guy that if he disappeared in the Midwest, he would find himself. If he goes to the Kansas City Royals, he'd find himself and be a great pitcher. But I don't know if, if, if he's going to be able to get over the hump mentally when it comes to New York. I will be heading to the 60-day IL after this season <laughs> for having to watch those 60 games we just went through. Steven Matz, I mean, from World Series starter to getting a Seaport Deli sandwich named after you to making an amazing but true podcast appearance to potentially being off the team. Life comes at you fast, folks. Uh, Mike Puma, life will come out and fast now. Have a couple drinks, maybe seven, after having to go through this Mets season. Enjoy some time away. There'll be plenty of off-season news coming soon as Uncle Stevie delivers uh, some chip cookies to your door uh, in New York at some point. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to catching up with you, Puma, in the off-season. All right, I'll talk to you. And that says adios, amigos, to episode 31, the Mike Piazza edition of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Hey, thanks to you, Alex Camerata, for producing the show. Jake, thank you from the bottom of my heart for making this first year. Very, very special for me in the podcast world. I think we had a tremendous run with a guest list that was second to none, but our interaction was outstanding, and I can't wait to do it again next year. Yeah, and we'll be back, folks. Nelson Figueroa, me, Jake Brown, we'll be back in the offseason. We are taking a hiatus for now. But as soon as big Mets news hits, which we expect not to be too far away, we'll be back with Amazing But True. So stay tuned. Catch up on all episodes while we are away. But until next time, enjoy the playoffs without the Mets, folks. Can't wait to check back in. And as always, stay safe.